And we're looking at 2 Peter. The book of 2 Peter is where we began. 2 Peter chapter number 1. And I want us to read it uh, together. And, and we may do this week by week. Uh, and, I, and I don't mean it to be uh, an irritation, but rather a repetition so that uh, the text of these verses comes into our mind that you might even consider uh, memorizing this text through the weeks that we study it. We'll be in here several weeks as we talk about Christian maturity and uh, growing by the template that Peter provides for us here. But let's start in Second Peter chapter number 1, and let's begin in verse 2 and go through, let's see here, um, verse 11, Second Peter 1 verses 2 through 11. Let's read it all out loud together. Ready? Here we go. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather brethren... Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray and we'll continue. Father, we do ask your blessing as we move forward in this. Help me to be clear. And I pray that your word would uh, do its work in our heart by your Holy Spirit, that we would be sensitive, we would be ready, we would be desirous, that you'd teach us. We want to grow um, and, and know that uh, it will take some measure of, of work and of, of resisting our flesh and of uh, pursuing that which is good. So Lord, help us, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Um, we, I've been told that there are uh, some goodies out in the fellowship hall, so we're going to cut a little bit early because usually pastor's class brings snacks, and Brother Wayne brought some more snacks, and uh, so those who are uh, here this morning, we're going to have a snack in between uh, Sunday school and the morning service to fuel us up for the morning <laughs> service. So anyway, we started last week into this, what one author calls essential virtues, a study of essential virtues. And, uh, and I like, I'll start with the quote from last week by a man named Leighton Talbert. Christianity is not a call to a higher standard or a higher life. It is a call to the highest standard 
to a life impossible for us alone because it cuts cross grain to all our fallen instincts and desires. Um, And I'm going to cut his quote right there. So just the idea that what we're talking about here isn't just trying harder. And as we say to people when we're thinking of evangelism, turning over a new leaf, I'm going to push harder. But we're really wanting to grow into the image of Christ by his design and by his enabling and by his power. But what what they were facing, uh, even in that early um, toddler Christian church, New Testament Christian church, I say toddler because it's young. We're in, we're in the first few decades of the New Testament church, and they're facing a tremendous amount of false teaching. And so we talked about that false teaching that at least in two ways I see. Number one, there well, actually maybe three, um, Judaism, uh, it just seemed that these these uh, Jewish people pursued Paul after his conversion and into his ministry to, to try to influence his followers and maybe many others that in order to truly be saved, you had to uh, still adhere to certain guidelines of the Jewish customs and laws, namely circumcision. And so, uh, of course, we recognize that as being a, a work salvation of adding something to the gospel of grace. But this Judaism says... Uh, that grace was not enough. There was some sort of external structure. There was some sort of physical, uh, humanistic standard. But then there was also the false teaching of Gnosticism, which put uh, very simply spoke of um, a secret and a higher knowledge, that if you were inducted into the group, you would learn things that other people don't know, and uh, it certainly went extra-biblical, uh, in its view and, and knowledge, uh, specific knowledge of angels. Um, so there was Gnosticism. And then you also have libertine teaching, libertine teaching. And really what that is, we'll touch on this I think in a minute, is, is taking the, the lust of the flesh and the desires of the world and package, repackaging them into uh, religious terminology. So it's the same thing that you see uh, in culture itself, but now it sort of has a religious facade to it. Well, why would you have libertinism? Well, goodness, if you understand the, the religion of, say, the, the Ephesians, Diana uh, of the Ephesians, and many of those pagan uh, religions were very immoral, and, and so uh, that influence uh, in culture and then repackaged in supposedly a Christian package provides for what we would call a libertine preaching, a libertine doctrine. Yes, Louis. Asceticism. That's a good question as far as what the connection is between asceticism and Gnosticism. Um, uh, I would say asceticism as a term sort of to me seems to speak of um, self-restriction and um, and how I can, um, in a sense, punish myself and bring myself to a very rigid standard, though I'm not saying it wasn't connected in some ways to Gnosticism. That's a good question. I'm going to, do you have a pen I could borrow? I will write that down and do a little looking this week uh, to see what I find on that. That's okay. Is there a pencil there? Right here. Thank you. So they're dealing with false teaching, and, um, 
And I gave the picture last week because I feel like it's so important. It's not just, um, uh, it's not a grab bag. It's not a, oh, you know, these things are out there. False teaching is very dangerous. Um, and and, and this, the, the effect that it can have, it, it's just so powerful as you, as you come to study what God wants us to be and what our identity in Christ is. I, I think a lot of people operate um, in a very uh, immature understanding of what we are and what we're supposed to be and what our potential is in Christ. So we, I showed you, I asked you about um, Hydra, uh, the Greek mythological character Hydra, if anybody knew what that was. Well, it's a multi-headed uh, serpentine creature. And of course, different artists depict it a little bit differently. But I showed you a couple of those pictures of this huge beast, you know, with these teeth and its multiple heads all connected to the same body. Well, uh, the author of uh, the book that is kind of guiding my, my uh, study here. Uh, it's called it the Hydra of Heresy. So you have all these heresies coming, all these false doctrines, but they're all connected to the same body. And they're all very, very dangerous. So uh, we're, he, he's confronting here um, you know, God's way and, and opposed to uh, false, the false teaching that would be rampant even in the first century. And you think about that. If Satan was so active within years, decades, we know really within minutes and even during the ministry of Christ, uh, that he was active to overturn, to undermine, to distort, to pervert, uh, even in the first generation of the Christian church that multiple heresies were coming up and, and, uh, and dealing with those and, and, and whether it dealt with the person of Christ or the doctrine of grace. We kind of saw that last week. So uh, we're understanding the context into which Peter's writing. That's important, uh, that it's not just a, a flat text. It's not um, uh, devoid of any context. It was written in a historical context, and it was in a context of false teaching. Uh, more than that, um, there was religious pluralism. We talked about that and how the things that he saw in his day, in his context, in his society were similar to what we see in our days, things such as religious pluralism, cultural corruption. We talked about evidences of the debasement of our society, the expression of evil. Um, libertine living. Uh, what does libertine living do? Well, it rejects authority. It promotes autonomy and sensuality. Well, <laughs> you know, open our eyes to the 21st century where you be you, you know, uh, and, and don't, don't let other people tell you what to do. In fact, the hero of the story is the one that breaks away from the rules and decides nobody else is going to define me. I'll define. Well, we have to be really careful of that uh, because that's um, the underpinnings of libertine thought. Um, and then false teaching, which would be the distorting of grace and the denying of the biblical Christ. So what we're dealing with here is, at, at the very least, the antidote to this false teaching. Here's what God wants us to know. Here's his template for Christian growth. Um, and his, so his desire is Christian maturity, maturity, growth into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So this causes us to see that this is not an issue of Christian extras. 
when he says in verse number uh, five, and beside this, giving all diligence, add, add to your faith virtue. We're just not uh, making customizations to Christianity and maybe upgrading a little bit. No, we're talking about uh, a necessity. As one writer calls it, a call to arms. It's an intentional moving away from the world, a despising of the world's philosophy and allurements in order to be wholly different, and that is Christ-like. To consider the other direction uh, to fail in these things, to, to, to say, eh, I'm not going to take it seriously, I'm, gonna, I'm going to be influenced by the false teaching, I'm not going to see the hydra of heresy for what it really is, I'm just going to say, look, we need, to, we need to relax a little bit here. To fail in these things isn't just a, oops, you know, I lost on a bet, I lost a hundred bucks. No, it's a destructive defeat. Uh, to me, seeing this issue accurately helps to clarify and motivate the issue of discipleship. That, um, that this really is a necessity. It's not a bait and switch. And here's what I mean by that. We, if we offer salvation to somebody, um, and, and, I've, and I've wrestled with this for years, you know, and how to, how to explain the gospel in such a way that they, they understand uh, the, you know, what, what's wrapped up into it. But at its core, we understand that the gospel of grace is the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ on behalf of the sinner uh, and his resurrection from the dead so that when we call out to God for reconciliation, on the basis of the person and work of Christ, we become a child of God, okay? But the person that truly understands their sin and says, I don't want to be bound to that anymore. I don't want to be a, a slave to sin. I want to be free to Christ. It shouldn't be too much of an extension then to say, I'll follow that Lord in the gospel itself, when Paul describes it, he says, you know, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, uh, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth that uh, Jesus is Lord, okay? Um, so the recognizing who Jesus is as the Son of God, he is God. He not only is my deliverer, he's my king. And that's what the Jewish people were looking for uh, in, a, in a Messiah and in a Christ was this coming deliverer who would also be a king. I just think that um, someone who is genuinely saved, regardless of how exactly they understood it, you know, in the infancy of their, you know, at the point of birth of their salvation, they, they understood basically they were a sinner. Jesus loved them and paid, uh, paid the penalty, and he's, he is now inviting them uh, to, to accept that salvation by faith. And, and so if they understood that, great. But if their heart is genuinely transformed, that they're a new creature, and they come to understand this truth, it doesn't seem like it should be too much of a step to say, I'm going to follow him like the maniac of Gadara. Remember when he was, uh, he was uh, changed, he was gloriously delivered. What was his immediate response? I want to go with you. And Jesus actually says, no, you stay. And tell, go back to your family, go back to your friends. But he wants to follow. Um, and so what I'm saying is to, to offer salvation as if it's only heaven. Do, do you want heaven when you die, like, don't worry about right now, but whenever you kick the bucket, 
wouldn't you like to have the assurance that you'll have eternal bliss waiting for you? Well, yeah, that would be perfect. I don't like that presentation of the gospel. I think the presentation of the gospel ought to point to the fact that, that, um, that eternal life starts right now. And that uh, Jesus Christ you know, wants to, to, to restore you to your original purpose of pleasing him. And right now, you're separated from that purpose. You're at enmity with God. And that's why I like our bridge tract, because it, to me, it lays it out the correct way from the moment go, um, that it says, you had a purpose, uh, and now you're separated from God by sin. So anyway, um, but to say, hey, would you like a gift sometime in the future that means eternal bliss and comfort for you? And they go, oh, yeah, 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 I'd like that. And then, uh, and then we lead them in a prayer, and they pray, and, and, uh, and, and we say, yeah, you're saved or whatever. And we say, now, let's talk about discipleship. Ah, I'm not sure I want discipleship. I mean, like, that's going to take time and change and, and this Christian thing. I'm not, I don't know, I don't know be that heavy into it, you know. That's, that's kind of, I mean, if you want to do that, that's fine and some people find some joy in that but but you know I just I, I mean, my life's okay I just I just want to deal with those those uh, fear of death thing well hold up um, we're to me it's this isn't a bait and switch when we finally understand what he's saying in second Peter about Christian maturity and growth we're talking about um, um, we're looking at the destruction of false teaching Christian maturity Growth in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, listen to me, is the avenue to victory and glory and health. So what we're looking at is not an extra. We're not saying, hey, now that you're saved, it really would be nice. You would kind of be, God would see you better. You know, he would, be, he would be pleased if you would go ahead and sign up for the class, take on a little extra load, and decide that you're going to learn more, and you're going to kind of be one of those dedicated Christian people. No, 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 no. Instead, we need to tell the new convert that may not understand all the ins and outs, certainly doesn't, of, of all the depth of what they have in Christ, but to say, you know, as a new creature in Christ, now that you have been reconciled to him, God has provided for you the path to victory and to glory. Can I say it that way? He has a glorious life designed for you and a purpose for you. Now, it may not always be comfortable and may not see, be everything that you think you envision it to be, but God truly has your best in mind and he has a path to get you there and that path is Christian maturity. That's not an extra. That is the path. That's how you're going to see the victory and the joy and the blessings of the Christian life, not by, by claiming some reward later, but by living it and growing in it right now. It is the avenue, this Christian maturity. God's grace teaches us and enables us to attain to this avenue of escape and excellence. I think that's so important for us to know. So uh, uh, Jim Berg in his preface to that book, Essential Virtues, says, such a personal pursuit of Christian character is not incidental to our Christian experience. He's wrapping it up there in a phrase to say, it's not just like, it's there if you want it. It's not, oh, <laughs> look, there happens to be maturity. No, it is a vital part of the Christian experience. Now, the teachings of 2 Peter 1 help us to resist and overcome the allure of the world 
and the allure of libertine false teaching. Now, as I was saying earlier, it's essentially the same thing. Uh, the allure of the world is, um, is autonomy, flesh, you know, feeding yourself, uh, being who you want to be, going your own direction. Well, libertine theology kind of looks a lot like that. <laughs> um, and so uh, while you're, you're resisting the world and libertine uh, philosophy and theology, you're really, it's kind of all the same thing. You're just learning to resist uh, the flesh and those onslaughts that are packaged in different ways. This list of virtues serves as, quote, a clear template for our own growth in Christ and for our discipleship of others in the midst of our own morally corrupt culture, culture end quote. And I like that word, a template. Now here's, you're, you lay the template down, now this is how it's supposed to go together, this is how it works. And, and God was so good to give us a template. Uh, aren't, you, aren't you glad that we have that this book right here to give us understanding, to give us the template so that we know things. Not everything, but we know things and we, know, we can know enough as we continue to pursue and know the Lord. That it's not just this walking around in life saying, well, I hope so, I hope so, I, I hope maybe I'm doing the right thing. Well, we can, we can know so as we pursue the Lord. He's given us a template for growth in Christ. But more than that, not just our growth in Christ, but guess what? We turn around and we use that as we learn and as we understand the template, we use it to influence other people in discipling them. Um, libertine teaching, I wrote here, at a minimum, tears down the fence of discretion that keeps us away from fleshly temptations. You say, what are you talking about libertine teaching? That uh, ah, standards and, 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 and all this traditionalist, uh, impo- patriarchal, <laughs> imposed rules or whatever, you know, you, you know, God sees your heart and God loves you and, and you, you, need, you need to be you or whatever. Well, what's that doing? It's kind of saying, oh, oh, okay, yeah, maybe all those boundaries, those fences that were sent up, set up, yeah, that, that's right, tear down those fences and, and climb over them and, and be who I am. Well, that's pretty dangerous, as we've talked about in the past, because now you're sort of wandering around life without real structure or guidelines and not sure when you're going to fall off the cliff. Uh, so at a minimum, libertine teaching uh, can do that. The instruction here in Second Peter chapter 1 gives us, if you would, the puzzle top. You, you need the puzzle top as you're doing the puzzle to know what it's supposed to look like. Where are you headed? Where does this piece fit? Um, uh, I see that, okay, now I understand maybe what to be looking for. Um, It gives us a puzzle top, and it gives us a direction as we desire to lead others in growth. Uh, It's not just for you, uh, but also to guide you in leading others. Have you ever considered that? Have you ever considered those joining us by live stream too? Have you ever considered mentoring, discipling another believer? Has your thought taken that next step of not just, you know what, I need to grow. I need to do right. I want to be more for the Lord. But to say, who could I invest in? Who might I be um, a mentor to that could help build them and guide them and show them? That's God's pattern, isn't it? What's, what's uh, the Great Commission? 
you know. Go win the world to Christ. Now, there's more than that. Go ye into all nations, right? And you preach the gospel. You make disciples. And then what does it say? Teaching them. Teaching them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. They need to grow. They need to learn. Why? Because God, God's plan uh, doesn't end with someone's reconciliation or with their conversion. It's not static. It's not done. God wants them to be molded into the image of Christ. He finds such pleasure in that. That was their original purpose was that, uh, that, that uh, pure interaction between them and that fellowship between them. And God wants that and designs that, that we be conformed to the image of his Son. And that's part of the Great Commission too, is making disciples and teaching disciples. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, I think it's it's, uh, in 2 Timothy where Paul's saying, uh, the things that I've committed to you, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to to teach others also. That there should be a a, a continuous transfer of knowledge that it's not just there and done, but it's transferred and and then you transfer to other men and they transfer to other men and they transfer to other people. And so there's an interaction between believers wherein they are uh, helping to build and develop other believers. So we'll say, well, what curriculum could I use, right? And I've been there, but like, well, what, what book would be really helpful? And then you realize, wait, I've got a template here. Now, there's various lists in Scripture um, that are fun to look at, lists of certain qualities, whether it's the fruit of the Spirit or um, the qualities of the wisdom that's from above in James or different things like that. But here... Uh, they're put together in an organic kind of a, 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 a flow that really serves as a, uh, as a pattern. It's good. Um, there may be an Ethiopian eunuch, if I can put it that way, out there for whom you can be a Philip. You say, God, I'm ready. I'm ready. I, I want to. I don't know everything, but I, I, I have a desire to grow and I have a desire to influence and to help others grow. And so if you're sensitive like that, even asking the Lord for opportunities to, to, uh, to partner, if you will, with the Holy Spirit to be that, that human uh, agency whereby someone can grow and have a guide and a friend, the Lord can send that to you and you can consider 2 Peter chapter 1 as your template to say, now here's how we need to grow. Here's what I can teach them uh, about God's desire for their Christian maturity. Now, as we look into the list, we're not going to dive into everyone right away because we're going to first summarize it, then we're going to look at the, the, uh, the fruit of it, and then go back and study the, the different qualities. But let's begin in verse number 5, uh, 2 Peter 1, verse 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. So here's the foundation is you have faith. We're talking to believers. And so you have faith, and add to that faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. Several different things there. Well, we might ask a couple different questions. Number one, is there a specific order? Is that, is that a God-given order, or, or could we put those in any order? Could we switch those around and say, develop this first and then that, or whatever? Um, and another question would be, uh, does one have to be completed before the other can be added? 
Do I have to sort of accomplish the first one, finish the lesson, you know, get my parents to sign it, and then, and then move on to the next one? Well, here's some answers. Um, according uh, to some, the grammatical sequence in that text indicates order, and I agree. Um, if you, uh, let's see, it says, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge. When, when we read the English word to, uh, you could also uh, see it in the original as in, okay? So if I could say, um, giving all uh, diligence, uh, add in your faith virtue, and in virtue, knowledge, and in knowledge, temperance, and in temperance, patience, and in patience, godliness, and on uh, it goes. The idea of one being in the other. Uh, one grows out of, or I would even say is drawn out of, the previous one. Uh, one author, uh, if you've ever seen the, the uh, set of books of Vincent's word studies, uh, his, he describes it this way, an increase by growth, not by external junction. In other words, it's not like, oh, there's a, there's a block, I'll add a block to it, and then I'll add this block to it. But no, it's more of a picture of growth where uh, our body grows, and by extension and by you know ligaments and joints, one thing is added to the next, but it's all one thing. Um, so there's an interconnectedness. They cannot stand independent alongside the others because of their progression. Furthermore, I can't, I can't rip out one of the first ones and expect the other ones to stand or to live or to be what they're at. I can't pull out this one and have it live alongside. There's a, uh, an organic uh, progression here, if you will, that one comes out of the other, comes out of the other, comes out of the other, and they're dependent upon each other. Uh, the, the second attribute is dependent on the first and at the same time maybe completes and brings uh, to a wholeness the first one. Um, I was thinking about a flower and if you're familiar with flowers, maybe you, you can think of what I'm saying here that you, you, different flowers may seem to, to grow different ways, but it seems like there's certain, uh, I, I, I bought, picked one out recently for a funeral. It's a pretty, uh, almost kind of reminds me of a tiger. It had a, had a neat look to it, but the way it came out, it, it reminds me of that where it's almost like in layers um, that you had these, these big green leaves and you had some more leaves and you had some more leaves and it wasn't, I don't know that it was just one stalk but it's almost like it kind of kept building uh, out of itself. That's at least the way I kind of see it in my mind, and that's the idea um, of, uh, of the text here. Now, you can also think in some sense like chain with links, okay, that, uh, uh, that you could take apart each link and study it in a separate part of Scripture, you know, Scripture deals with these character traits in different places, but when, but when we look at Second Peter, we're looking at it as a progression, which is, uh, which is really neat. Um, so, coming, looking through those and understanding that um, we, you don't have to fully develop one and become perfect in that area before, the, before you add the next one, because the next one's growing out of and is even a part of the growth of the first one. Does that make sense? So it's this, it's this progression. Um, and more than that, are they in a specific order? Yes, they're in a specific order in this text. Um, 
so looking at the harvest, uh, and I'm to some degree borrowing uh, parts of this outline from, again, that book, Essential Virtues. But looking in verse 8 through 11, we've gone through the list, and we'll go back and study in depth those character qualities and the progression of them. But look at verse number 8. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it goes on with more blessings here in a minute. But notice the first wording of verse 8. What's, what uh, is the intention? What's the desire? What's the goal? If these things be in you and what? Abound. If they be in you and abound. That, to me, helps set apart uh, the idea that um, we're just adding facts. Oh, hey, uh, remember this date for the quiz, right? Oh, remember, remember this fact, too, and, and memorize this list. No, if this, if this is in you and, and, and abounds, um, remember in John 15, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, if my words are in you and remain, Colossians chapter 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Um, so they get the idea that our, the, the word not just being in our mind and our intellect, but residing in us and living in us richly and abounding and growing, it really is a blessing to, to just develop a, a love of and a study of the scriptures. So, I see that when we see that wording, um, it's, it's personal. If these things be in you and abound, it's perpetual, okay? They, they stay in you. They live in you, and it's progressing. They're flourishing. They abound, uh, growing ever stronger. There's an ever greater control of these truths on, on my heart and on my thinking, and that's how we uh, are coming, because we're coming into a maturity, we're growing in these ways. So I'm going to read over it, and then, believe it or not, our time is, is finished, and, um, and we'll come back to it next week, Lord willing. But if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren, we'll talk about that, nor unfruitful, we'll talk about that as well, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, but, stating it the opposite way, he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Now, flip that around and say, okay, he that lacks these things is blind, but the person that has these things, then what? He has a vision. He has a sight. He has a clarity. There's certain things he doesn't forget and certain things he sees. Um, Then it says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. There's another blessing of it. For so, here's another blessing, an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're talking about some pretty heavy blessings right here that come on the heels of or that are the result of the product of this Christian maturity, this growth. So on the one hand, as we, as we come into the front side of it, we say, this is an absolute necessity. This is God's path to the victory and the blessings that he wants to offer. And on the other side of it, not only is it that path to victory and blessings, we begin to see those blessings and we go, wow, um, that we're, 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 we're not barren. 
but that we're active and that we're fruitful and that we have a, uh, we have a vision, meaning we have a, you know, a, a clarity, a spiritual clarity, and, um, and that an entrance is ministered abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior. We want to know that we can end well, and when we get there, not just ooh, eternal bliss, but truly the pleasure of our Savior. So much to learn here in this passage, but we're going to have to pick it up next week if otherwise.